text gets at that desire that we all have to be free from all of the troubles of this dark world. All of the things that can go wrong in this world that harass us and hinder us and hold us back and trouble us. How much do our hearts want to be free of them? How much do we long for a world that has no disease whatsoever? Or a world that has no war. You hear people this time of year talk about peace on earth. And it takes on meaning as we look at the Ukraine, as we look at Israel and the wars that are going on in the world. And we just pray for peace because it's devastating when war comes to a place. How many of us feel like we could really like get it done if it weren't for like one or two really difficult things going on in our lives now? If it weren't for that diagnosis that just stays there or if it weren't for that bad habit that I just can't kick, right? All, all of us have something that is troubling us and harassing us and keeping us down for being everything we know that God has made us to be. The biblical word for that state we're longing for, where all the troubles are gone, where there's no war, there's no disease, there's no more sin in our hearts, and we just kind of have that freedom and tranquility to, to be, and to do good. The biblical word for that is, is peace. And it's a theme that weaves throughout all of the Bible. And what we're going to see today is that as this name, Prince of Peace, is assigned to the Son, Jesus Christ, who is coming for us, that peace we long for in our hearts can be found only in him. And so I'm going to point you as best as I can to this one, to this Jesus Christ, who will come and will bring that peace that we long for. If you're just joining us for our Advent time this year, uh, we are going through the four double names that the prophet Isaiah gives to Jesus in chapter 9 of his prophecy. He tells of Jesus coming to be a light in this dark and dying world, a life-giving light in this dark and dying world. And he gives to him four double names. Today we look at the fourth one, Prince of Peace. Let's read Isaiah 9 verses 2 through 7 as we have in the weeks past. And we'll dive into the meaning of that name. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood we burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of, his, of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Through that name, the Prince of Peace the Spirit of God opens our eyes to the peace and prosperity that Jesus Christ will bring when he comes again. 
So what I want to do here this morning is dive into the meaning of that name. What is peace in the Bible? What does it mean that he is a prince of peace? What does that promise us? And, and then we'll ask, okay, now that we know what that teaches, does the whole scripture teach that as well? And we'll find, yes, it does. And then finally, we'll say, okay, what does it mean to live under the Prince of Peace today? Let me start just by ringing that name for all that it is worth. What does it mean that he's a Prince of Peace? Well, peace is a very important word in the Bible. Uh, there are not a whole lot of Hebrew words that I would want you to know and feel like you need to know. But the word for peace is one of the few that I want to share with you. Because you may have heard it in other parts of the world before. Uh, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Maybe that's a word that you have heard before. It's important to know the word because it means more than just what we think of when we hear the word peace. Now it does mean everything that we think of when we hear the word peace. When you hear peace, you probably think of the absence of war, like war being gone. Yeah, that's part of it. And maybe you think of that kind of inner peace and tranquility when you are undisturbed as a person and your heart is not disturbing you and things from the outside are not disturbing you and you sit there and you say, ah, I have peace. Or you may even say, I have peace and quiet, right? Uh, that is a little bit of what it means to have peace. In the scriptures, peace is a state where everything is how it's supposed to be. Everybody is treating everyone how we're supposed to treat each other. And so with no troubles or problems, we are free to pursue the good things that God has called us to pursue. So that means a world without war, yes. It means a world without disease, it means a world without conflict, a world without oppression, a world without natural disasters, and even more than all that, a world where the sin that plagues our own hearts and gets in our own way is not there either. A world where you are totally free and unhindered with nothing disturbing you at all. If we could just get there, that would be peace. Now that's what humanity had in the Garden of Eden with God. Right? Fruit growing on all the trees, we could freely eat of them, we had all our needs provided for, we had a great mission from God to subdue the earth and multiply and make it even more wonderful than it was, and that is what we lost when we sinned against him. So it's what we've been longing for ever since. And when Isaiah says that one is coming who will bring it, what he means is that our Christ will come and he will fully restore everything that we lost in the fall so that we will finally be undisturbed and have peace. Now we can get some measure of that here in the world. Sometimes we have more peace around and sometimes we have less peace around. And what tends to happen is when there is peace, it tends to produce prosperity. And that's because of how humans are wired. If you get out of our way and if we get out of our own way, we tend to build wonderful things and do wonderful things, and all of a sudden there is much prosperity around us. That's what people do. Really good pictures of this in the last hundred years as we have seen an incredible amount of prosperity, many things being built, and lots of technological development in the last 150 years. If you think for a minute, where did those technological developments come from? Well, a lot of them came from right here in the States, and a lot of them came from Japan, and a few of them came from Europe. All parts of the world that have not had any war since World War II. 
And in our country, we haven't had war on our own soil since the Civil War. And so we just pause for a moment and think, like, let's just zoom in on our country for a minute. In the Civil War, we were able to eliminate the greatest oppression thus far in our history, the enslavement of African Americans through kidnapping. We eliminated that through the Civil War. And since then, there has not been war on our soil. So 150 or so years with no war on our soil and one of the great oppressions gone and done away with. And what's happened in our country since then? Probably more technological development than there ever was in the history of the world before that. Just an incredible building of institutions and technology and wealth and wonderful things. When we get out of our own way and when war and things like it do not come and hinder us, people will build incredible things and prosperity tends to follow. And so the idea of peace in the Bible is more than just the absence of war. It's that state of blessedness that comes when we are undisturbed. When people can do the good things that people are made to do, they aren't getting in their own way and other things aren't getting in their way. That's peace. Now what Isaiah is telling us here, he gives us the name Prince of Peace. And then in the next verse, he tells us of the increase of this king's government and of peace, there will be no end. And so in his coming, we have got a government, a world, everything, how it is supposed to be. And people are finally free to just increase and do all of the wonderful things that we have been made to do. So Isaiah's message is that that state of peace comes when this king comes. Peace comes with him when he comes. So we've really just got one point here today, and it is that only Jesus can bring peace and prosperity on earth. That's right. That is what he does when he comes. Now, in a sense, this name kind of builds on some of the names before it. Uh, you might remember two weeks ago, we looked at the name Mighty God, right? And that was uh, the one who will come and deliver us from all of our enemies, not just our human enemies, but cosmic enemies like sin and death and all of the things that are plaguing us. He will deliver us from them. And Israel was used to counting on God to send someone to deliver them from their enemies. But they might ask the question, we could forgive them if they would ask the question, well, sure, he will come and deliver us from our enemies, but what will he be? like when he reigns. After all, this text references Gideon, who on the day of Midian delivered Israel from the people of Midian, but then turned out to be a pretty sorry leader himself. And around his time, their first king, Abimelech, took the throne by blood, slaughtering 68 of his 69 brothers. Yeah, he delivered them from their enemies and their oppressors, but he was himself a ruthless king who was almost worse than the oppressors from the outside. So, okay, so this mighty God is going to come and deliver us, but what will life be like under him? And that is what Isaiah answers with this name, Prince of Peace. He will not just deliver us from our enemies, but his reign will be one of peace and prosperity forevermore. So he adds good news to good news with this name, Prince of Peace. So the point again is that only Jesus will bring prosperity on earth. He has brought it in some measure coming the first time, and he will bring it fully and completely for his people when he comes again. Now, 
Let me back up and let's ask, is that what the whole of Scripture teaches, right? Is this just a little flash in the pan and one time this is taught or does the whole Bible teach it? Uh, This teaching, like everything in the Bible, goes through and through, develops as a theme from beginning to end. Uh, I already took you back to Eden before where Adam and Eve dwelled in perfect peace, right? They had everything they needed. There was nothing disturbing them. They were able to do whatever they needed to do. And that is what we forfeited when we sinned against God. But even immediately, right when we fell into sin, the Lord began weaving two themes in the Scripture. One was that he would send a mighty Savior who would bring that peace back. And the other was that inasmuch as his people obey him today, we get a little part of that peace, a little flicker of that peace even today. So those two themes going through, right, the whole way. Uh, We are longing for the coming of the one who will bring the peace we lost. And we can get a little bit of it today inasmuch as we obey him. We see that right away when right as Adam and Eve sin, they are promised one of Eve's descendants is going to crush the head of Satan and all of his seed Everything bad he brought in the world, it's going to be crushed. It's going to be gone. Someone will come and will bring peace. As time goes on, the Lord begins to show them. He he forms his people and gives them a law. And he essentially tells them, as much as you obey my ways, I will give you peace. Uh, He says this outright in Leviticus 26. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. So they had this promise that while they were waiting for that deliverer to come and bring peace, they could have a little bit of peace right now if they would walk in God's ways as God's people. This was given as a blessing to the people of God, the great blessing in number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That was what they were longing for. This king was going to come and bring peace. And as much as they obeyed him, they would get a piece of it now. And then deliverers kept rising up to deliver them from their enemies. And they got in this cycle once they were in the land Uh, Their their deliverer would deliver them. They would have peace for a little bit, but then the deliverer would die. The judge would die, and they'd fall back into sin. They'd get oppressed again. Their enemies would come, and then another one. The Lord would raise another one up, and over and over again, they keep getting delivered because they keep falling into sin and keep needing it until finally King David rises to the throne, chases all of their enemies out for good, and brings peace. He hands his son Solomon a peaceful kingdom, and Solomon knows peace all of his days. But then Solomon dies, and then slowly the kingdom begins to crumble. And yet it's promised that a son of David is going to come one day and is going to bring peace. So all through the Old Testament, there's that longing. He's going to come. He's going to bring peace. And if we obey him today, we'll find just a little bit of that. So they live in hope of words like Psalm 37. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and shall delight themselves in abundant peace. This good ruler is going to come. And that's essentially the message of the Old Testament. He's going to come. Our Lord is going to come. And so it matters then. Surrounding Jesus' birth, we come to the New Testament, and one of the prophets rises up right around his birth, and he says what he will do is give light to those who sit in darkness, the image from this text we read today, and guide our feet to the way of peace. He's coming. 
He's going to bring peace with him. And then maybe most pointedly, words that many of you probably know, the angels appear to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shines around them. That same light in the darkness picture. The glory of the Lord shines all around them. And they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. He comes and he brings peace to his people. So he's the one that came. He's the one that did that. And before he left, he breathed his spirit upon us. And he says, my spirit, I give to you my peace. I give to you. And he gives that peace to us. And we can live in his peace right now while we wait for him to return. And then when he returns, it says we're going to beat our swords into plowshares. And nation will not rise up against nation. And and neither will we learn war anymore. It says all the former things have passed away when he comes back. Death will be no more. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. All the things that rob us of peace, they'll all be gone because the former things will pass away. So it leaves us right where the Old Testament left us, longing for the coming of Jesus to bring peace and eager to live in his ways today that we might have a taste of that peace here in these four walls today. So that's the message through and through of the scriptures. And my call to you is to come to this Jesus. He has come to us to bring peace. And if you would like to have peace from the sin that is in your own heart and from the fear of judgment that you must have before a holy God if you recognize that you're a sinner before God, Uh, peace from all of the troubles that surround us, peace when he comes, come to him, come to Jesus Christ. By your faith in him who has died to pay for sins and who has risen to give eternal life, you can have at his coming eternal peace forever. And you can have a little picture of it even right now in your life. So I call you, come to him, come to that Jesus. Now, the question we want to ask now is, What does that look like now, right? Because one of the confusing things about Advent is we're singing about peace on earth, right? And he came, and our Lord has come to us. And we'll sing at the end of this service, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. But we also know that that day isn't here yet, right? So it's like he's come, but we're waiting for him to come, right? That gets a little confusing, doesn't it? Uh, We live now in this place where we are waiting for him to come back. And we are waiting for him to do all of the things that he promises to do. Uh, But until then, we live in obedience to him and have some of the promises secured to us. And so I want to spend the rest of this morning just asking, what does that look like in this strange period of history where he has come once, but we are waiting for him to come again? Where the blessing of peace is ours, but it is not fully ours yet at the same time. What does that look like? The best way I could describe how this looks now is to use the same picture Isaiah used with light. Uh, We could say that the light of peace, if you have come to Christ Jesus, the light of peace shines into your heart and brings life into it. And then, because you're gathered together with other people, many of whom have had the same thing happen to them, we wind up, that light of peace shines into this community, and we wind up shining upon each other, creating a community of peace. And then, you get a whole bunch of lights gathered together, And what they're going to do is they're going to shine into the darkness of the world outside, 
Right? You get a jar full of fireflies together and you walk down a dark hallway and you get enough fireflies there and they're going to light up that hallway. Right? In the same way, we gather here with the light of peace shining on our hearts, shining upon each other, and we begin to shine the light of peace out there into the world. Uh, let me go through that step by step and that's what we'll spend the rest of this morning looking at. First step of that, the light of peace shines into the heart of every believer. An important teaching in the Christian faith is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that just means that if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit lives within you. That's the Spirit of Christ. And one of the things that Jesus calls that Spirit is his peace. He said he breathes upon them his Spirit and says, my peace I give to you. So that, that light of peace is shining in your heart if you have faith in Jesus Christ. And what it does is like the sunlight does to the plants outside, it brings new life into your heart. And so it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, the Lord is starting to make you new. Uh, it says the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So those fruits, because the light is shining into your heart, those fruits begin to come out of your life. Uh, essentially, what he does is takes our dead, dark hearts and breathes life into them. That's one picture of the Christian life. If I were to draw that analogy out a little bit, I might compare it like this. Uh, some of you know this and some of you don't, uh, but for Christmas, our church gave several of our staff members little indoor-outdoor lemon trees. Uh, we let them choose between that or bunt cakes because some of them aren't gardeners and we knew they wanted desserts. Uh, so those were from you guys, so you guys should know that that's what we gave to them for Christmas. Uh, and the way these little trees work, they're about this tall, but they'll grow into full trees. And you take them inside in the winter, and they're nice and warm in the winter by the window. And then when it gets warm in the summer, you take them back outside and you can let them grow. And eventually, God willing, they might bear some lemons. Well, imagine instead that that tree just kind of represents our hearts and living in this dark world without the light of Christ shining on us, each of our hearts were like a tree like that that has been kept not out in the sun, but in a cold, dark basement for decades upon decades. You keep a tree like that away from the light of the sun in a cold, dark basement, and it's just going to wither and die. And instead of bearing fruit, it's going to bear mold, if anything, right? It's going to get disgusting. And then... All of a sudden, some benevolent person comes and they take it and by miracle, they bring life back into that tree and that tree's alive again. And then they drag it out into the hot sun and just let it sit under the hot sun and they start to give it just enough water and they come back and tend to it and when it rains too hard, they drag it under the roof and when it rains just right, they drag it back out and they're tending for it and caring for it. Now this revived plant has light and it has a gardener tending to it. What's going to happen now? That thing's going to come back to life. And slowly, eventually, it's going to start maybe even bearing a couple lemons, maybe even bearing some fruit. And for each one of us who has come to Christ, this is essentially what the Lord has done to our hearts. We were once that decaying, dying, dead plant full of mold, if anything. And the Lord said, I'm going to shine my light upon you. I'm going to resurrect this heart and fill it with faith in Christ. And I'm going to shine the light of peace upon it so that it is nourished and grown again. And my very spirit himself is going to tend to that plant and care for it and correct it where it errs and nourish it and get it just right. And eventually we begin to bear fruit. 
Instead of bearing nasty mold like immorality and anger and malice and hatred and things like that, now we're bearing patience and, and grace for others, and kindness and gentle words and love and even peace. And so in that way, the spirit of peace shines upon the heart of each Christian. So what that means for you then, your part in this, is to just soak up that light. That life-giving light that has come into the world, it shines into your heart through the Spirit-inspired words of the Holy Scriptures. Through the Scriptures when they are rightly preached on Sunday morning and at other times. Through good Bible studies, through the times you spend alone, through our singing and song when we admonish each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, through closeness to Him in prayer. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will have life. Just nourish that connection to Jesus Christ, who is your water, who is your fertilizer, who is your sunlight, who is all of the things that you need to grow. Do that through prayer, through singing, through engaging here with us at church, through the word, and just watch what happens to your little lemon tree. The Lord will grow that tree into something beautiful. So that's part one. The light of Christ shines into the heart of every believer in Jesus. Now, let's expand that out to the social level, right? Let's say the Lord does that in my heart, and he does that in her heart, and in his heart, and in, you know, a hundred or so people in this room. And then he gathers us all together, and we all begin bearing those fruits of patience and righteousness and grace for others. And he says, I want you guys to, to live life together. And I want you to go over to each other's houses and go out to eat after church. I want you to gather together and worship me. And I want you to care for each other when you're in need. And all of these people with these new hearts that the light of Christ has shone upon begin shining upon each other that way. What you get is kind of this cumulative, beautiful effect. Where now, it's not just happening on the individual level, but on the social level. What you have is a, is a community of peace. And so in that way, in as much as we as a church obey our Lord, we find a picture of the peace that is coming right here. We want a world one day where our kids are safe, where, where we are safe, where everyone is kind and where everyone has enough. We long for a world like that. And as much as we obey Christ Jesus here in this room, you walk in these doors and you come to a place where the kids are safe and where everyone is safe and where the kids are taught truth and the adults are taught truth and where people love each other and where when someone sins, we forgive each other and where everyone has enough because we're sharing with each other. In as much as we obey our Lord, we find a picture of the coming peace right even here. And so the second step is that the spirit of peace dwells here. And what he brings in this community is peace. Amazingly, though, he does this among people who otherwise would not like each other because they are not similar to each other. This is what he did in the first century. You had Jews and you had Gentiles, and the Jews felt that the land belonged to them, but the Gentile Romans had come in and were oppressing them, so there was an oppression-oppressor-oppressed relationship going on there between the Gentiles and the Jews. 
But then some Gentiles would want to come to Christ and the Jews would be kind of snooty about it. And oh, hold on, you got to get circumcised and you got to obey all the law and do all the foods. You guys aren't as fancy as we are. You can't really be Christians. And so they started, you know, there was conflict there. They had every reason in their churches to point the finger at each other and say, your people have wronged our people. Both sides could have done that to each other. And instead, Paul writes the Ephesian church, which has both of these kinds of people in them, and he says that through Jesus' death on the cross, he has made one man out of the two and so made peace. And so no longer was the Jewish Christian rising up and pointing the finger at the Roman Christian and saying, your people have oppressed us for hundreds of years. No. Instead, the Jewish Christian was calling the Gentile Christian brother and saying, you are my people because God has made us into one people. And that's what he does in the church today. And it's incredible. In our land today, there is some ethnic tension as well, but there are so many kinds of tension. We will divide over anything in our world today. Pet people and not pet people, right? Don't even understand each other. Uh, People who uh, listen to this music and people who listen to that music. And you hear the other person's music and you're like, how can you think that that sounds good, right? We will even divide over the color of our text message bubbles, the blue message people and the green message people based on what kind of phone we're using, right? We'll divide over anything. And I think maybe the strongest division in our country is between the young and the old who grew up in such different worlds and have a hard time understanding each other. You take all of that division, never mind all the political division that's out there, And then you gather up a bunch of people who are really different from each other, coming from all different parts of the world, even in this room. And we just shake each other's hands and hug each other and share with each other when we're in need and worship together and love each other and are patient with each other. And what we're doing is we're showing what the peace of Christ looks like. When he makes one man, not out of the two, but out of the 500 different kinds of people that are here in our land today. That's why it's so beautiful in our church when the young and the old go out to eat together after church or when they go into each other's houses and have dinner and love each other. What we're showing is the peace of Christ. We're showing that he makes one man out of the two. Uh, That's what he does. So our part in that is to bring peace into this community by remaining in Christ and by treating each other lovingly. By being willing to look at the person in this room who is the most different from you and calling them brother or sister and holding them close and saying, God has given you to me and I love you. Our part is to put away things like anger and malice and lies and all the things we might do to hurt each other and instead say, no, I can put that away and I can love those who have wronged me. I can forgive those who have wronged me. We do that, and we're making a supernatural testimony about the things that Jesus can do. Because that doesn't happen in any other kind of community in this world, does it? Nowhere else can you gather people that different and gather them around something that's not political or not taste-based. No, the gospel is so much bigger than all of that. So that's part two. You get a whole bunch of people who have the light shining in their hearts coming together. They begin to shine on each other. Okay, third step. I said earlier, if you get a jar and you fill it with enough lightning bugs and you walk down a dark hallway, 
It doesn't just light up the inside of the jar, right? It actually starts lighting up the hallway around it. And that's what we do as well as a church. When we are at our best, when the Spirit of Christ is shining brightly from us, we don't just shine upon each other and bless each other with a taste of peace. We actually get to shine upon the outside world and bring more justice and peace into the world around us. This is why Jesus says to us, you are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men that they might see our good works and praise our Father who is in heaven. That's why he says things like, they'll know you're my disciples if you obey my commands and they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another because they see what we're doing and what we're doing even affects them for the better. Uh, let me give you a picture concretely of how, how that might look. Imagine you've got a, a culture and a, a society, maybe it's a nation, maybe it's a tribe, whatever, um, and the gospel has not come there yet, so it's just full of people like us before we came to Christ. Okay, and so everybody there, of course, like us, is pretty selfish, right, and wants their way, and, and wants their way over the good of others, and believes some kind of mixture of truth and lies like we all were before we came to Christ, and so the teachers in that community who are teaching the kids are teaching a pretty bad mixture of truth and lies. And the artists and musicians in this land and culture are kind of, they're, sometimes they're calling the good beautiful and the bad ugly, but sometimes they get it wrong and they call the ugly beautiful and they call the beautiful ugly. And sometimes they teach things that aren't true through their art and through their music. And then the governors in the land... Sometimes they do the right thing, but sometimes they take a bribe and oppress the poor and do the wrong thing, because after all, they're out for their own gain. And this is the kind of culture you have. This is how we operate as humans, because we're selfish, and that's what we do. And then the gospel comes into that community, and five people in it come to Christ, and then 10, and then 100, and 1,000-person community. Well, the connection we got to make is that some of those people— are the teachers. And some of those people are the artists and musicians. And some of those people are the governors. And every, all of those people are somebody's neighbors, right? And so now, the teachers in the community, they're loving the truth of Jesus Christ. They're coming closer and closer to the truth. And so what they're teaching the kids is more true and better. Now everyone is loving their neighbor and treating their neighbors with better. Everyone who has come to Christ and who God has worked in in time. Uh, now the musicians and the artists in the community are, are putting out truth and, and true beauty. And they're calling beautiful what really is beautiful and calling ugly what really is ugly. And so there is a, a beauty of truth in what is being made in this culture that's better than it was before. And the governors in the land are understanding better what biblical justice looks like, and they're standing for the poor in their land, and they're stopping oppression in their land. They're, they're not taking bribes anymore, but they're living in, in decency, and they're doing the right thing as leaders. It's not hard to see that that whole community is going to benefit, right? Even the people who didn't receive the gospel, just by living near people who have received the gospel— their life is a little bit closer to the kind of peace that Jesus is going to bring. And so this is how the light and the peace of Christ begins to shine into the world from the church. That's how we operate as a city on a hill. 
we don't just bring the good news to them. We do bring the good news to them. That's the most important thing we bring to them. But simply by living in community with people that God is changing, their lives improve too. And they get a little bit of a picture of what it will be like to live under the peace of Christ. Now, part of why I'm going through the time to outline that is because there is a movement in the conservative and Christian world today to try to push for what they're calling a Christian government, right? And they're so close to the mark when they say that. But in truth, the only thing that can convert to Christianity is a, is a human, right? Only people can receive the gospel. A constitution cannot receive the gospel and be saved. Only people can do that. And so what we need is not so much a Christian government, so to speak, but good, honest Christians in the government, right? And so that means something very important for our engagement with politics. We have many of us on this side of the aisle bought into the myth that if we just shout a little louder and get more people to go out and vote, we can turn this thing around. But that's not the strategy that's going to do it. You you want to change our country for the better forever. You know what the best thing you can do is? Go lead 10 people to Christ. Just imagine Greenwood if everyone in this room went out and led 10 people to Christ. We wouldn't have to change a single law, would we? Eventually, the laws would change because people would vote differently and things would be good. But the way to do it is to see him change the hearts of the people. The way to do that is to live as honest Christians ourselves, shine as a light in the darkness through everything we do, and tell as many people as we can about the gospel of Jesus. That has been what has reformed lands all over the world since 2,000 years ago when Christianity started spreading through the Roman Empire. That is how the Lord changes a people. If you want to change our country, lead 10 people to Christ. So there's the picture then. The light of Christ, his peace shines into our hearts. We start shining on each other. We build up enough of that beauty and we wind up shining into the outside world. We will keep doing that until he comes back. And then when he does, oh boy, get ready. Nation won't rise up against nation. We won't learn war anymore. There won't be a war academy anymore. There won't be weapons anymore because we won't even need them. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. Whatever it is that is harassing you right now, even if it's the sin in your own heart, it will be gone forever. So let me leave you just longing and waiting as those candles burn right over there and waiting. Let's our hearts long and wait for the coming of this Messiah. Let's pray together.